Good morning. My name is Jim Barcliffe, pastor here at Lighthouse Fellowship. We're glad that you've come and joined us this morning because you're taking time out of your day. I pray the word of God would touch you today and heal you and uh, his love would just wash over you because we need to know the love of Jesus because obviously when we know the love of Jesus, we can go through many things in life. And right now, life seems to be very chaotic and upside down from what we thought it might be, even as we recover from the COVID, still part of our lives. But we know today that we have a Savior, and He has the victory. And because He has the victory, we have the victory. I pray God's healing in your lives today if you're watching, and also that if you know, need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, I really feel like I was praying, and I feel like someone or someone here needs to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and I'm not talking about just going to church and so forth. We love that, and I'm glad I'm, glad I'm a part of the church. I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Anybody that... Uh, you feel like they're just a tug on your heart. You feel like you're carrying shame and guilt and condemnation. And you, you need, what can I do? I want to show you today. And I want to just obviously put you on the right path to know Jesus and to know the freedom that he gives. He's so good about that. And I pray today would be a day if God is knocking on your heart that you would make a decision for Jesus Christ. Whatever the decision may be, obviously we've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ is given for you and I. Got an important message this week. Uh, next week is, is Pentecost, so we'll probably have a, a special message. I just feel like the Lord's going to speak to me regarding uh, about Pentecost and about the power of God that we need desperately in our lives. And I'll share some thoughts with you today how you can obviously witness for the Lord and uh, obviously know and uh, experience Him because He wants you to experience Him. So let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you that we can come together in the precious name of Jesus, the most precious, majestic name that has ever been spoken or ever will be spoken. His name is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we thank you for him, Lord. He came voluntarily and laid his life down that we would know the forgiveness of sin and that we would, Lord, know that we have eternal life through him. And we pray today for every person watching and here in this sanctuary. Every person would be touched by your power, your grace, your mercy, and your love. And today, Father, we just pray that there would be decisions that would be made. Decisions, dear Lord, that would be life-changing. And we know people came in here or maybe watching this today, you never thought that this particular uh, encounter would take place. But today, the day, wants to the Lord wants to reveal himself to you that you may know him personally and intimately. And I pray that what happened today, Father, touch every heart, speak to us. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We always welcome, we open our hearts, Lord, into our lives, into our, our world. Actually, it's your world that you've given us the privilege and honor that we can participate with you in, in what you're doing in the earth today. So come, Holy Spirit, come in power, speak to us, Lord. We know that I can't say anything on our own, my own, but only as spoken through will the anointing of God truly fall upon people's lives. So, Lord, today we ask you to do that. Whatever the need may be, we come. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at the last chapter of Ruth, and this will conclude our study in Ruth, and I really enjoyed Ruth. It's powerful. It's so simple, we know. And you all know the story there. We'll review a little bit of it, but I really want to, share with you some things that are real practical in our day-to-day -day walk with the Lord. Very simply, I hope that every person here has got an open heart. I pray if you haven't, say, Lord, open my heart right now. 
not what I say, it's what the Spirit of God says, but obviously I am a vessel that He uses, and He also uses each one of us also. But we're talking about verses 1 through 22 in the book of Ruth, the last book, and it's so powerful. And um, we're going to read it together. If you'd like to, you stand or sit, ever how you posture yourself before the Lord, we read together. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. And then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Eliminate. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I'm the next in line and I will redeem it, he said. And then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth, the Moabites who acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And at this, the kinsman redeemer said, and then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. And so the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. And then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today your witnesses that I have bought from Naomi, all the property of Elimelech and Kilion and Malon. And I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malon's widow as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his, his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today, you're my witnesses. And then the elders and all those at the gate said, we're witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. And may you have standing in uh, Ephrat and also be famous in Bethlehem. And through the offspring, the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez and Tamar, bore up to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. And he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family of the line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hazron. And Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amenadab, Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Abed, Obed, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Amen. Get the picture. Let me put it together for you. Remember what happened? 
is that Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, went down to Moab because there was a famine in Israel. So here they go. They go down. They got ready to come back because in Bethlehem, which was their home country, began to have food. And they had that. And so they're going back. And remember while they were down there, the two sons actually married uh, the children of <clears throat> Naomi and her husband there. And they died. And also Elimelech died there while in the land of Moab. And so Naomi is coming back, remember, into Bethlehem, Judah. And Ruth wants to come with her. The other uh, daughter-in-law, she didn't want to come. She stayed in Moab. You never hear any more about her at all. But you hear about Ruth. And obviously here, she has a, she has a book in, in, the, in the Word of God. And so she comes back because remember what she said, where you go, I'll go. Your land is my land, and then your God is my God. So she began to believe, obviously, in Jehovah God, the one true God. Uh, the Moabites, obviously, they were idol worshipers. In fact, they were pagans, and they didn't believe in God at all and, and so forth. But Ruth, there was something in Ruth's heart. I believe that it's obviously providential moving of God into place, those things that we can't understand, the mystery of salvation that takes place when obviously many here today and those watching, if you've come to salvation, you said, this is a mystery. I don't understand. There was a tug at my heartstrings, and somehow by the grace of God, I said yes to that grace that is given freely without any type of, uh, obviously, that we can't in any way work for it. It's just freely given. And that's just a mystery in understanding salvation. But I love to see that working, obviously, as the Lord saved me and as he saves others, too. So she comes back. They're coming back. And remember, Naomi came back. She was a bitter lady because she lost everything. She's mad. She was bitter. She was uh, obviously hurting because of that. She was grieving. Well, Ruth was grieving also. But they came back and they began to make changes there and, and go in. And she said, hey, we needed something to eat. So. Naomi sent Ruth out into the fields, if you remember the story, as we went through chapters 1 through 3. And uh, she gleaned there the harvest. And actually, uh, Boaz saw Ruth coming and knew that Ruth had come with uh, Naomi and that they were in relationships there. She, uh, Boaz was a relative of Elimelech, which was the one who died. So he saw him coming. So she, he wanted to take care of the women. He saw them coming and realized they didn't have anything. And so she act, he actually told the people who were cleaning the crops from the field, he said, leave some extra in there so that when Ruth comes by, she can gather and glean that up. And remember, she gleaned more than she could actually carry and so forth. And then remember what happened when Ruth, again, Naomi is sort of moving and orchestrating and things in Ruth's life. So why don't you go in there and lay down at the feet of Boaz and don't say anything. He's sleeping in there. And, and and cover up and don't say anything. And remember, Boaz woke up and found this woman at his feet. Well, he was an honorable man, and so he obviously wanted to make sure and take care of his reputation because he was not guilty of anything. And, and yet he, he knew that something was going on here supernatural. And we're looking at God move in such a way that obviously we see the kinsman redeemer. A couple of weeks ago, I handed out a, a handout about what it was to be a kinsman redeemer. I'll say right up front, and all of you know this, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer will, is someone that will buy back that which was lost. And see, this property that they had was lost. And so they were coming in, and, and Boaz was actually restoring that which was taken away. 
And to make it real simple today, Jesus, that's why Jesus came. He came back to restore us to the relationship with He and the Father and the Holy Spirit, like God Almighty originally intended. And then sin came into the world, and obviously it diverted that off. But yet our God, who is so faithful and so good and so loving, had a plan from eternity past to come and restore mankind back in that relationship with Him. And His name is Jesus Christ, and He's our kinsman redeemer. Hallelujah! He is our kinsman redeemer. I love that term. Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. He had that plan. And He's restoring so many lives today. He's restoring people today. They're coming back home and we'll sing that song in just a minute. He's coming back because God is the God of restoration. God of love who brings it all back together. How great our God is. And that's what was happening. And here we see here, representative actually was that Boaz was certainly uh, a representative, a kinsman redeemer like Jesus. A, a sort of a, a type, so to speak, in that way. It wasn't Jesus but a type that we can look at and see what Jesus Christ did. And so, obviously, we begin and we start with the story now of what's going on. Because, see, there was a problem. For Boaz to be the true kinsman redeemer, there had to be this man that was between them because the next in kin was not Boaz. There was another man there. And that man was there uh, in between them. And, obviously, something had to happen that that man would bow out and then Boaz would be the next in the line of, of being a relationship, a relative there, and would be that kinsman redeemer. And we see that actually happen supernaturally. Do you know when you came to Jesus Christ, you didn't all of a sudden just say, hey, I'm just going to come to Jesus now. It's time. I've had all the fun in my life that I want to have. And now I want to come and give my heart to Jesus. Do you know you can't come to the Lord at the time that you want to necessarily? It has to be the Spirit of God moving in your life to draw you. The Bible says no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit of God draws you. And so we can say today, thank you, Lord, for drawing me. He didn't have to. He saw Jim as a sinner out there in the world and doing every kind of stuff, but yet he came and redeemed me. My kinsman redeemer stepped into my future and he, he set me free and he offered me the gift of salvation. It is a gift. But I didn't just all of a sudden come up and say, oh, well, I'll just come to the Lord. You see, you just can't do that. But there are times when we feel there's something going on in our lives that we know that only God can be doing. Because when that takes place, you see what happens is you realize you're not the same. When you give your heart to Jesus, you realize that that you are a new creation. If something has happened internally and then it manifests through the outward display of our of the things that we do, how are we, our attitudes and our behaviors and, and the things that take place in our lives. That's what happens. We're changed from the inside out. Amen. We're changed. Our kinsman redeemer. This is what's happening here. But I want to look at today, and that is accepting God's invitation. And I want to share something real simple with you guys and hear the viewing audience today that is really so, so simple, but also very applicable to our lives. You see, God's plan is always the best plan. You know that? Have you tried the other? See, when I was going through and going to college and all this stuff, I thought, well, maybe the grass was greener on the other side. What did I do? I got over there and I found out that, that green grass, so-called, it made me sick. And I said, whoops, I got off here in the wrong pasture. Okay, But doesn't the grass always look greener on the other side of the fence, doesn't it? 
And yet we get over into it and we realize, man, it doesn't bring any life. It brings death. It's just sour to everything. My life is sour. My life has no joy in it. My life is not what I know it should be. And then all of a sudden God moves in, you see. Because God's plan is always the best plan. Always here when you think about it. And so when we look at a couple things of this particular chapter, is this. Obviously the right way to accomplish God's will. Naomi was man- move, man- manipulating things. And, you know, even when, when we do things that are, that are not right and so forth, God can turn it for our good. Romans 8, chapter 28. But yet in this, Naomi was moving and said, hey, go over there in that field. Because that's Boaz. I know that guy's got some money. I know that he's going, he can take care of you. And he certainly, Ruth went over there and so forth. Now go down and lay there in the threshing floor and lay at his feet there and cover up. Don't let him know you're there and so forth. Naomi was kind of working, working Naomi, uh, Ruth, wasn't she? He, she was working her, okay? And yet God still used it for his highest purposes, amen? He did that. But yet the right way to do God, God's will is something that is very, very, we need to be sensitive to. You see, let me just say this. God is always at work around us. How many of you know that? Raise your hand. God is always at work around us, okay? He's never idle. It's just that we don't pay attention. God is always working around us, always. And if we'll open the eyes of our heart, we'll pay attention, listen, and that we'll discern. And, and if Jesus and His kingdom is primary in our lives and lordship over our lives, then we'll pay attention. And things will happen in people's lives and circumstances around us because He's always working. He's never idle. He's never sitting back and so forth. And so in this, the first step here, I believe, is always work around. He's always working around us, working around us. The second step here is God pursues a continuing relationship with people. He said he loves souls. He loves you and me. He loves people. He's just waiting for them to humble themselves and say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. I can't save myself. My works have not done anything. I'm tired of working. I'm give out. I'm totally frustrated by this. Come into my life and save me. And Jesus comes in like a flood. He comes in, doesn't he? And so he's always pursuing a relationship with us. I believe that God is speaking to people today in this country and all over the world. He's knocking at their heart's door. But many people reject him. Why? Because of pride. They go, I can do it. I haven't done anything real bad. And so therefore I can save myself. I can kind of, I hope my, when I face God, that the, the, the good things I did outweigh the bad and so forth. But let me tell you, my life, that will be just the opposite. But by the grace of God, which I can't earn, neither can you. He just gives it to me. It's freely. You just receive it and believe. Just like a gift at Christmas time. When you obviously you give it and people, obviously I've never seen anybody reject a gift at Christmas time. Do y'all? I'm not anyway. Even when they would give me like a, another pair of socks. My grandparents, we would have, we would go there and, and all that. They would give me a pair of socks and I didn't even like the color of the socks. Or they would give me an old tie that I didn't even like the tie. You know, and I was like, oh gosh, and I put it in the corner there and so forth. But I always took that gift, right? But you know, the gift of salvation is far greater, right? We've never turned that down. And people today say, no, I don't want that gift. And it's so easy. People could come to Christ in, in droves if they just humble them hearts and say, hey, I need Jesus. And they would open their hearts to Him because He's pursuing an intimate relationship with everybody. It's His. He initiated it. God loved us first. We didn't start out loving God, did we? You see, we need to obviously... Uh, Follow him, obviously. We need to obviously bless the Lord. What did, in the case of uh, Boaz, remember what he said to him? He said, Lord bless you. 
The Lord bless you. Remember, he blessed the people that worked in his fields. He blessed his family and so forth. We need to do that. How many of you do that on a regular basis? The Lord bless you. I was up here to McDonald's this morning getting a uh, coffee and uh, a, uh, a biscuit. And uh, the lady came there. That lady's worked there for years, as far as I know. She's there diligently. She's always there. She's very courteous. She's always prompt. She's very efficient and so forth. And I said, God bless you, ma'am. And she's working there. And she kind of, you went on and so forth. And some people will acknowledge it. Some won't. But we should get in and have blessing people because that's what God has put us here for. We should let our light shine before all men that they may see our good works in heaven and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We need to bless people today. A God bless you. That doesn't hurt anything to say that, does it? I mean, it's not against the law, is it? Hey, God bless you. Right? I mean, that's not uh, taboo at this point, is it? I hope it isn't because I'm doing it. God bless you. Little thing. That's what Boaz did to his people. So he knew the Lord. He knew something was going on here. And so uh, where did the invitation come for Boaz to join him in what he was doing? You see, when we see that God is up to something. And we obviously we we uh, we're like, Lord, what's going on here? Aren't you talking to God throughout the day? What's going on here? Or obviously, we're too busy to actually even entertain a thought about God. Talk to the Lord throughout the day. What are you doing here, Lord? What's going on here? And so the invitation there for Boaz to join him was actually, I believe, when when he saw Ruth coming along. Ruth came along. He said, something. he's up to something. I believe he was such a spiritual man, a godly man, that actually he saw the working of God in this particular place. And remember, Boaz didn't ignore the invitation. He stepped out. First of all, I think that something prompted Boaz. Obviously, he was a man. And I think Ruth was a pretty good looking gal. OK, so, hey, look at boy, look at there. OK, look at there. All right. I don't know how God uses those things, but he does. OK, you think, all right, we've got to be all spiritual and so forth. No, he uses a lot of different ways in our lives to get our attention to say, hey, this can go on like that. You know what I mean? And and so he stepped out. And remember, he said, hey, you know, I'm going to do something for these girls, these ladies here and realize there that uh, Naomi was a widow and also Ruth was and so forth. And so Boaz is is beginning to move out and and seeing and the story begins to evolve. Now, what had what would have happened? And think about it in your own life. What would have happened in the story if Boaz had not stepped out and invited Ruth and Naomi there to take care of them. What would have happened? The story would have ended. That would have been it. And do you realize in this whole thing that's so important is the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, in his humanity, he was God, he did, but he obviously operated in his humanity in the power of God's spirit. But the lineage, that would stop. Now, God would have found another way, but the story would have stopped. But you see, in our lives today, do you realize how important it is to continue to seek the Lord and to continue to be obedient to the Lord? Do you know when we are not and when we start seeking the things of the world, because the Bible says that when we love the world, the love of God's not in us. Do you realize today when we shift over from our primary purpose of being here, and that is to bring glory and honor to him, then things begin to change. And we know, obviously, we can miss it. And your lineage and you think so forth just in your generation. But yet what we do is we pass something down from generation to generation to generation. 
And we want it to be the things of God. Amen. We talked about it last night, about last week about mothers and so forth. We want that to be. So Boaz could have stopped that story right away, but he didn't. He did respond, obviously. Many of us say we want to do God's will. I bet you if I'd ask you today, you want to do God's will? Everybody here will go, yeah, oh yeah, Jim. Certainly I want to do God's will. You wouldn't be here otherwise, right? But sometimes you sit back and you go, God's not showing me anything. You know, I'm not hearing his voice and God does speak, obviously. He can speak in pressions and, and through his word, through prayer in different ways. But many times we sort of slack off because we don't hear anything. And therefore, and hey, he doesn't write it in the sky of what his will is. And you say, well, he hasn't shown me, so I'll just continue on my way. But you see, God speaks to us through the ordinary circumstances of life. How many of you know that? He speaks to us every day. You know, many times when I am approaching somebody and somebody's new, I'm praying at the same time I'm talking about it. I know many of you think that I can't walk and chew gum at the same time, but I can't. OK, so don't accuse me of that. I know you think that when I said that, but I'm praying at the same time that I'm approaching a person. Lord, what are you doing in this person's life? And if God wants me to engage with something there, obviously to be friends or or to bless a person, then I know obviously uh, that's what I'm going to do. But I'm thinking, Lord, what are you saying here? What are you doing in this person's life? Because, see, God is already already working in that person's life. He's working in lives today. He'll put people in front of you and you think it's just some kind of an accident or whatever. It just happenstance. No, it isn't. No coincidences, coincidences in the life of a believer. It's a divine appointment. And Boaz had a divine appointment with, obviously, Ruth and Naomi, but certainly Ruth. The one thing about it. So I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, what are you doing here? And sometimes God will tell me. I'll get a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy, gifts of the Spirit. I'll get a word from him and I'll listen. But I don't ever stop. I want to tell you, sometimes I don't. But I don't stop because that's the way we hear God. And that's how we interact. Why? It's because God wants us to obviously minister to people, to bless people, and realize that he's working. And what happens when you experience God like that? You're like, wow, God's alive. God is involved in my life. God is not out here somewhere. I haven't disappointed God so bad that, hey, he has left the premises. No, our God is involved intimately in our lives every day. He loves us when we're good. I preach on it sometimes. When we're good, he loves us. When we're bad, he loves us, okay? We want to follow him, obviously. But when he, no matter what, we stumble and fall. But he still loves you. He says, come on, child, get back up again. Confess to me and get back up and move out because I got something good for you. And it's good. We'll share about that in a minute. But anyway, you remember a little story some time ago. This has been some time ago. I was having lunch with a friend of mine at a restaurant, and they have uh, furniture out front. I use this because it always sticks in my mind. Please forgive me if you've heard it before. And these two ladies were sitting over there, and I was waiting for my friend and, and all that, and I looked at the ladies over there, and I said, God spoke to me and said, go over there and speak to that lady there. I've got a word for her. And I went, are you kidding me, Lord? Are you kidding me? You got a word? You know, you want me to go over there? I don't know them and all that. They look like they're engaged in a, a you know, a, a conversation and so forth. And basically, God kept putting on my heart. And then he waited to see whether or not I'd get up. And I said, I better get up. And I went over there. I said, ma'am, I, ma'am, I, ma'am, I, I don't mean to disturb you, but I, I feel like uh, that the Lord has just spoken to me while I was sitting here over here and to come over and, and tell you. And I began because I said, I don't know what to tell him. I have no idea. But I knew there was an issue. And the one lady particularly I said, and I pointed her out and I said, there's a 
there's a real burden upon you. And I began to describe what the burden was because God was giving me revelation when I was talking to him, okay? And the lady sit there and looked at me. Both of them sit there. They didn't say, uh, sir, you're disturbing me or something like that. Never did. And I went on and I just told him, I said, God's going to solve. God's already worked that problem out. And you're going to see the manifestation of that, that solution real soon. And I said, okay. They said, thank you. So I went up to get some coffee later on. And that lady came up to me and she said, Jim, you don't realize what you said to me. But I knew God was speaking to me. And I knew that God was personally involved in this really bad situation that I was in. And it involved family members. And I knew that he loved me. And you don't realize how encouraging that he was to me when you said those types of things. He went on and she said, thank you for sharing, getting up and sharing that. See? But you got to step out. Because why? God's always working all, all over the place right now. He's working in our lives. And if we will get our priorities right, and that we will obviously listen to him, we can participate with him. I'd be blow it. Boaz was uh, in, in that situation. He realized that, that something was going on because God wants us to join him. And he'll show you. And he will show you clearly. You've got to step out, though. And you think, well, what if I'm wrong? Hey, when you go over and you bless somebody, you can't go wrong, okay? God will teach you. And you'll never learn. It was like when I, were, I learned to ride a bicycle. Did I immediately jump on there and ride it without falling? No. Did I, I immediately do this and that? No, you've got to practice. You've got to keep on. You've got to know that God is real, real. Obviously, He's faithful to teach us and to lead us as we continue on. We're not going to give up. Amen. The next step is God speaks by His Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and church, obviously. And so Boaz was responding to God's invitation to help Ruth and Naomi. Isn't that good news? Amen. And you know, God sends people our way to help us. Isn't that true? Don't you, when you need a word of encouragement, you know, God, somebody comes our way or maybe somebody calls you or sends you a card or a phone call. Something happens because he encourages the body of Christ. We're his kids. I'm his, I'm his kids, okay? I'm a, the king's kid, okay? And he wants us to know that day in and day out. Life is tough here. Now, I'm sure, obviously, when you look at this, that he wondered what God wanted him to do in response to God's commands here. But obviously, God spoke unmistakably through the circumstances, you think about it. And there, when, when Boaz was, was beginning to step out in faith, believe him and trust in him here, and whatever God calls you to do, when he calls you, he equips you. So when he calls you to do something, he equips you. Don't ever think. You know, y'all you, you know how I went in ministry. Obviously, I, I, I'm not a public speaker. I don't like to speak in public. I don't like that. No. I have to get out of my comfort zone to get before a group of people, no matter how big they are and so forth. It doesn't make any difference. God is saying today, if you'll trust me, I'll use you. And that's for all of us here today. It's not just for a preacher. It's for you. It's for me every day. It's a walk of faith, loving him. And stepping out, believing him for great things. I had to do that. And obviously, I don't always do that well. But I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to stop, you see. I'm not quitting. And I know none of you here today are going to quit. It's important to continue on. God's got a plan here. And here we see what happened as I described it here. And the relative there uh, was the one that was in the place of the kinsman redeemer. He didn't want it, remember? 
He said, no, I don't want Ruth. He may have been married or something, or he just, he looked at her and said, I don't think she's that good looking anyway, okay? So I don't want her, right? So I'm backing out. Maybe that's what he said. I don't know what he said, but he's, I don't want, I don't want her. She looks like to me, she's, she's too much luggage for me, okay? Uh, take that off the thing here, okay? But the next thing happens is a crisis of belief. If you step out in faith and you begin to say, hey, God's called me to bless this person or to speak to this person or say, God bless you real simply or whatever. There's a crisis of belief. It's a crisis of belief. And what that is, is actually it means that you may not see the immediate result or it may go backwards from what you thought it would be. It may actually be in reverse and you're going, man, did I sign up for this? OK, but if you'll stand, be steadfast and believe God. I want to tell you right now that he will come through for you and he will not fail you and he will show himself mighty and strong to you and you will experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. He will know God in a more intimate way. When I first met, went into ministry, I thought, oh, my goodness, Lord, I and obviously uh, you, you must be speaking to somebody else and um I began to surrender, and I remember, y'all know the story, Cindy and I both, uh, in my heart, Australia. I said, what are we going to do, Lord? All I could think about was Australia. All of a sudden, Australia. Well, my thoughts were, oh my goodness, he's going to send us to Australia. He's going to do that. I said, Lord, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, it's a crisis of belief. Now, I believe he's called me, but here he goes, he puts that on my heart. Australia, and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't even like kangaroos, okay? okay. And he starts saying that to you, and, and on and on. And sometime later after that, and I'm praying about it, Cindy comes to me and she said, I don't know what's going on in here, but all I can do is think about Australia. And I went, oh my goodness. He's bringing us together, because obviously partners, you go together when we both got to go to Australia. Cindy's not going to stay here, and I'm going to Australia. And so forth. I said, oh, my goodness. And do you know what happened? This is the crisis of belief because I'd given my heart to Jesus and it looked like everything was going to really get worse and worse and worse. And I thought, boy, what is going on here? But a crisis of belief causes you to say, I'm going to stand firm. And if God sends us to Australia, then we're going. Amen. And when I knew Cindy had come to that place in her heart that she truly released it and she would go. And I would go, you know, it was like a release saying, OK, we've gone through the fear and so forth. I knew at that point I go. She did, too. Are you ready? And do you know what happened after that? We made that decision. It was taken away. God was testing us in that crisis of the belief to say, are you going to believe me? Are you going to believe your feelings? Are you going to believe, obviously, that you're not adequate to do this and that, that it never worked with you? What am I going to believe? Am I going to believe God? Am I going to believe in all those other things that the world presents to us? We made a decision. We're going to believe God. And then he never did that. But he wanted to see whether or not we were willing to lay our lives down to go where he told us to go. He said, obviously, Boaz had decided to obey God by taking Ruth as his wife and redeeming Naomi's land there. And it seemed like the right thing to do. But obviously, remember, that person in between them and obviously the, the situation and all, they, he had to be removed. And he goes, hey, I thought this was going to be my wife. 
it looks like this, this other guy is going to be her husband and not me and all that. Remember? And that guy pulled out. When God's got a plan, he has a way of removing those things that somehow you think will prohibit you from fulfilling what he's called you to do. Isn't that good news? He loves to use work with people like that. And do you know what happens when that happens? Then you experience God. You go, my God is good. You see, you see, we sing it every week. We sing it in the daytime and nighttime. I'm singing out on the porch. Actually, he's singing the song that night, obviously, on my porch that Kathy was singing. And Cindy's in the bedroom there and and all. And she's thinking the next door neighbor, they've lost their minds. They're singing out there and so forth. And I went in there and she goes, I said, I was singing out there. Did you hear me? She goes, was that you singing? Yeah, we sing all the time to the Lord, don't we? And I want to tell you, when you know that God is good and you've experienced him, you'll sing all the time. There'll be a song in your heart. There'll be joy unspeakable in your life. And you'll be able to go through life, be able to go through because this is a journey. This is a pilgrimage that we're going through, you see. Obviously, we continue to believe. Then things will come about here. Now, six steps. When you begin to step out to do God's will, you've got to make major adjustments. Okay? Major adjustments. Everybody know that? Boaz had. Boaz was free. Now he's going to get married. But he's married a beautiful woman. And he's willing. Hey, he's saying, hey, this is worth it. This is worth it over here. I, I want to be her kinsman redeemer. I want to redeem her. And redeem, redeem that which has been taken away. And see, when we do that, obviously, it, it, we've got to make some adjustments on that. I had to make adjustments on it. When I went in ministry, or whatever decision you make for the Lord, you have to make adjustments. But that's our calling, isn't it? Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. He pay, gave His life for you and me. Why is it so that we're hesitant about giving our lives for him and to him? You see, that's what actually is happening. It takes a major life adjustment here. Follow God will always require us to change our lives. But the changes are always worth it. Always. Every time. It's always worth it. It's always worth it here. Blessings, obviously. The blessings that God gives us as a result of that are far greater than any sacrifice. And I'll tell you today, in my life, there are many changes that took place. But do you know what? My God has never, never been unfaithful to me. I mean, when we got down and, and we needed more money, I would go out to the mailbox and open the mailbox and there would be an envelope with a $100 bill in it. I had no idea to stay who sent it. When I was obviously, pastors would come up and they'd stick a couple hundred dollars in my pocket. When things would get rough, God always supplied and took care of us, but it takes some adjustment. You've got to trust because the whole life of a Christian is a life of faith and trust, right? But He wants to use us. He wants us to testify to how good He is and how great He is. Now, the last thing when we think about it here is that God's got an individual plan for each one of us. How many of you know that? Every person here today has a God has an individual plan. Every one of us today in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and a, a future and to prosper you. Do you believe that you believe God's word that God has a plan for you and me? He's got a plan for me and you. And that's the greatest thing. 
He will obviously bless you. He's got a plan. He hasn't forgotten about you. And you know, there's a song I listen now. It says he's not done. He's not finished yet. And he's not finished in your life and my life at all. He's not finished in the life of this church. He's not finished with it. his body. You see, his church is his bride and he hasn't given up on them. There may be some discipline along the way, but he hasn't turned away from his bride. He never divorces his bride. He stay, hangs in there. He loves us and he continues to guide us. And that good news today, that picture today is in a marriage again. We don't give up. Life is not always easy under the same roof with two people. There are differences. There are challenges. But we don't give up. We persevere. And what does it do? It actually, I believe it sanctifies both of us. Certainly, I know in my life. But he takes care of it. He never, ever, he's got a plan. And he's working it out. He had a plan for Boaz and Ruth. And he had a plan. He has a plan for, for you and me. How old do you think Boaz was? Evidently, Boaz was uh, up in age. He married a younger woman. Okay, But what happened? You see, Boaz had given up even the thoughts of having a family, probably. And here he's got a family, and the baby comes along. And see, the lineage continues on. Remember Obed? Obed came into the picture. And Obed, obviously there, is, I think, the father of uh, Jesse, who is the father of David. So you're getting close to King David's lineage there. And then, of course, right after David, if you look at the lineage, it goes right directly in to the lineage of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 It worked in God's plan. And God, obviously, in his his sovereignty and the mystery of his will, he just worked it together. And he's working all things out today for our good. Those who love him and are called according to his purpose here. God obviously always has something better for you and me. Can we say that that together? God always has something better for you and for me. Say it again. God always has something better for you and me. Amen. And then I want you to say here also is God is not done with me yet. Can you say it? God is not done with me yet. Say it again. God is not done with me yet. Amen. He's not. And you speak that out every day. The demons of hell hear that and they go, well, they must know that there's a calling upon their life and I don't want to mess with this one. This is one of God's children. I don't want to mess with them because they know the authority that they have. They also know the position and the place that they have in in God's heart. He's not done with you and me. And so he wasn't done with Boaz. Older guy, but here he reared a a child. He sired a, a child. And things went right into the lineage of Jesus. Kinsman, redeemer. Don't ever forget that. I love the term because I love what it means. You see, when the world fell, Satan came and he owned it in that sense. Okay. But God in his precious love and mercy and, and majesty had a plan from eternity past to redeem all of mankind, to buy it back, to restore it. And so when we came back in his kingdom, we accepted Christ. That's exactly what happened to us. We were bought back. We were redeemed and redeemed actually means being bought back from slavery. We were slave. Jim was a slave to sin. I love this world. Didn't want the things of God. And Jesus came and he bought me back and he paid the penalty for my sins and he paid the price. Hallelujah. Thank Jesus. Thank you, Lord. He's so good. One day we'll see him. One day, the Bible says we see through a glass darkly right now. One day we'll see him as he is. And then it's like, wow, 
I didn't know it was going to be this good. But you see, God wants us to experience him now. Not just here, but in our hearts. He wants us to know him intimately. He wants us to commune with him, to talk to him. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He wants us to, to, to love him and to fellowship with him. I was listening to a man this morning on uh, the radio and he said, is your life a mirror of who God is? You do the things like you know that God has, would have you to do to be a reflection of who God is. When hard times come, do people see in your life, in my life, faith? Or do they see fear? When things are upsetting, do they see anger? Or do they see peace? Which one do they see? When things are going not right and all that, you see the world looking at us. People watch us and we don't, we don't even realize it at all. And certainly, God turned this whole thing around and the lineage is taking place. Here, we're going to simmer down here in just a moment. Obed. All of it worked out according to God's plan. We need to understand how important it was that when we're faithful today with the little things, that actually you don't know what the consequences to, that it will take tomorrow or the next day or the next year or to your children or their children. Uh, Carrie Job and, and Cody Carnes, they sing that song to your 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 family and your children and their children and their children and their children for a thousand generations. Hallelujah. You don't know. You see. You've ever heard a man of Edward Kimball listen to this story. He was a lay Sunday school teacher and he led D.L. Moody to Christ when Moody was an 18-year-old shoe salesman in Boston. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist. God used him up in the northern part of the, of the country. The power of God touched people. Thousands upon thousands came to salvation through uh, D.L. Moody and all. So um, Moody visited his Sunday school class and shortly after, Kimball went to the shoe store to call on Mr. Moody. And while Moody was shelving shoes, Kimball remembered, quote, I went up to him and put my hand on his shoulder. And as I leaned over, I made my plea. And I feel that it was really a weak one. I don't know just what the words I used. I simply told him of Christ's love for him and the love Christ wanted in return. And D.L. Moody eventually left the shoe store to become one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all time. Moody, whose international speaking took him to the British Isles, preached in a little chapel pastored by a young man with a, in, the imposing name of Frederick uh, uh, Brotherton Meyer. In his sermon, Moody told of an emotionally charged story about a Sunday school teacher who personally went to every student in his class and led each one of them to Christ. That message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist like Moody. And over the years, Meyer came to America while speaking in Northfield, Maine. A young preacher heard Meyer say, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? And that remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God on his life. Chapman went over to become one went over to become one of the most effective evangelists of his time. A volunteer by the time uh, of uh, Billy Sunday, who was a great evangelist, helped to set up his crusades and learn how to preach by watching Chapman. Sunday eventually took over Chapman's uh, ministry, Billy Sunday, 
becoming one of his most dynamic evangelists of this century. Billy Sunday's preaching brought thousands to Christ, inspired by a 1924 Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. A group of Christians dedicated themselves to reaching their city for Christ. The group invited the evangelist Mordecai Ham to come and hold a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. A lanky, listen to this. You see, down, trickle down. A lanky 16-year-old sat in the huge crowd one evening, spellbound by the message the white-haired preacher gave. Each evening, the preacher seemed to be shouting and waving his finger at the young man. Night after night, the team came and finally went forward to give his life to Christ. That teenager was Billy Graham. Billy Graham communicated the gospel to more people than any other person in history. And it all started with a Sunday school teacher named Kimball. You see how God can move and weave it all together. We have no idea. We think just our day in, day in and day out incidences in life are just some kind of a happenstance. And maybe somehow, obviously, we're just trying to get through life. Just trying to make it, aren't we? And yet the decisions that I make and you make on a regular basis, day to day by day, hold eternal consequences. And when my priority is not on other people and on my relationship with Jesus Christ, you know what happens to Jim? I flounder. I flop all over the place. And life doesn't have any meaning for me. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. But when I return and I come back and I seek Him and I, I put my life before Him bare and say, Lord, help me, help me. To be a reflection of who you are to a world who's lost. I was driving down the street here this morning coming. All of you came either this way or that way. One or the other. A number of people today that are not in church. That are not hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And basically you're saying, I don't want any parts of that, that so-called religion. It's not, and it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I don't want anything to do with it. And you see, life goes by. I don't know about you, but life is flying by. It's real quick. And I believe the word's given to me the first of the year, the word accelerate. Things are accelerating. Things need to, obviously, we need to really get our lives in order. And we ask the Lord to remove anything that's not, not like Him, anything contrary to His will. So that our lives can count. Because you and I, this, is, this place here is, a, is a, like a stick of dynamite. If we'll give our hearts to Him. And allow Him to move in our hearts and lives. We have no idea the consequences of decisions that you and I will make this afternoon. And you have no idea what your, the consequences of you coming to church today will make. You don't know what family members are watching you. And see, we're not responsible for the result. We're responsible for being faithful. God can use us because He's always working, right? And when He shows us where we're working, He invites you and me to be a part of what He's doing. And when we step out and be a part of Him, we begin to experience Him. And we go, oh my gosh, I thought that He just used Jim. <laughs> Isn't that a surprise? No. No. I'm called to a particular area of ministry. You're called also. Each one of us have a calling on our life. 
And it's just as important as what God has called me to do. Okay, remember that. I'm not high and mighty on anything. I come humbly and thank God for His grace to even share this word before you this morning. Amen? Thank you. If there's a decision need to be made here, anybody watching this today, and you've never given your heart to Jesus, and you want to know that when you take your last breath that you're going to heaven and that you will be in the presence of God Almighty, today may be the day that you're being convicted. There is a, just a knock on your heart's door and saying, I want to know this Jesus that Jim has been talking about today, that I believe and maybe some, some kind of type of contact and, and teaching and so forth, but I want to know this, this Jesus today. If that's the case, I want you to bow with me right now in Jesus' name. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you that we can come together in the holy and precious name of Jesus. And we bow our hearts, we bow our heads, and we, Lord, recognize that we're sinners and we're in need of your grace. We need forgiveness. And we ask you, Jesus, to come in our hearts and save us. We want to know that we know that when we take our last breath, we're going to heaven. But Lord, we know that when we ask Christ to come in our lives and we're born again, that, Lord, we know eternal life starts right then. And, Lord, we just want to love you, praise you, worship you, and serve you all the days of our lives. Open our eyes, Lord, to those things around us of what's going on that we may obviously know and see and then join you and minister as you've called us, each and every one to do. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Healing, deliverance, whatever it may be, Jesus is the answer. It's not obviously whether or not we can counsel good or whatever. It's actually a relationship with Jesus Christ that will set you free. And Lord, we pray that you would do that all over this city. We believe revival is coming to Houston, Texas. We believe revival, Lord, even now is stirring in people who are praying. And we, Lord, call out to you today to revive our hearts and stir us that we will see thousands upon thousands and thousands come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father. We pray. Only you can do that. But Lord, we as your children, we're asking you today because we know you're the only answer. So Lord, do that today. Anybody who has, has made that uh, decision today, <clears throat> you can get in touch with us or you can obviously call me anyway. We can help you, pray for you, whatever the situation may be. And we pray for each one of you today, whatever it may be. In Jesus' mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. Thank you that you have been a part. We love having you. And we hope that you do come back next week. It's going to be Pentecost Sunday. So I pray that we'll really talk about it. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to know the Holy Spirit. And we know his love for us. And we pray and welcome you each week. And we thank you for joining us. And God bless you. Amen.